This is Table Talk 16.5 from the dudes at Late Afternoon Gaming. Tonight, we talk about some corrections and give some advice on how to play D&D like we do. If that sounds boring to you, then you probably don't have any place in polite society. You should reconsider your priorities. But otherwise, please enjoy this session of Table Talk. I got some hot stuff for the Ombudsman Report. It's really not that hot. So we were talking during table talk last time, who died of bladder failure from not peeing? Um, no. So I put forth Benjamin Franklin and that not even close. That was incorrect. Yeah. Yeah. No. He died from complications uh, of being a fat old man, basically. Uh, Nerf said uh, the astronomer Tycho and he's right. So Tycho Brahe, who is a Danish astronomer, um, there's some debate about whether it was renal failure or some sort of bladder explosion thing, but it's essentially correct. Uh, and that is the story with him. So that was correct identification on Nerf's part. So good job. So I thought it Nerf was, has... I thought it was Jack who mentioned the astronomer. And then but I you're the one the who thing. named him, yeah. Ah, okay. <laughs> so Nerf has <laughs> some weird pockets of knowledge um, <laughs> that have made him like a really, really strong and relatively dependable trivia asset over the I, years. I don't know if I would call having a general idea of, of when history has died from uh, not relieving their bladder like a weird trivia knowledge. <laughs> I would say that's the height of trivia. I can't think of, I can't think of something that's more trivial than that. <laughs> so I, I just over the years, so I mean Nerf and I, we this was our um, like one big social activity that we did when we were really in the busiest part of our degree programs was Tuesday Tuesday nights, right? Yep. Yeah, Tuesday nights was trivia night in, in the, the town where we were in college. And um, this was right when people started using cell phones to just absolutely make trivia unplayable in public. Uh, which, uh-huh. why bother? That, that's so yeah. stupid to yeah. me. Yeah, yep. I, I, I don't... I, I wonder if it's to impress... The people at the table with him sometimes like you know if, if they're like trying to you know if you're out with a group of people and you are secretly looking stuff up on your phone yeah, so yeah you but can carry those the are team. the first people that are gonna see you with your phone out <laughs> i know well the other, yeah. the other thing though is i like if i owned a restaurant or a bar where we were doing trivia i would have uh like cell we, phone we would need a guy walking around no we would yeah. need like a cell phone like bouncer that went around to the tables and, and was like hey this guy's cheating. Yeah, and uh, even like, yeah, like in a loud voice. Right. So, someone that made it stupid awkward. to play trivia. Yeah, yeah right. Because I'll tell you what, I've I've played I've played trivia at a lot of places, and some of them, at some of them, the cheating is brazen, and the people running the game don't do anything about it. Yeah. yeah. No, I've experienced it's the same incredibly thing. frustrating. Yeah. I will say though, so I actually went to trivia with Nerf once. It was just me and him. Uh, and I also have, like, kind of strange pockets of knowledge, but it's all the ones that are completely fucking worthless at, like, a bar trivia. Because <laughs> yeah. I think I got the answer to, like, one question the whole time. Uh, and yeah. I don't consider myself a stupid or unknowledgeable guy. It's just there's no intersection between the things I know and what people ask at trivia. I think the stuff I'm interested in is just not well distributed when you look at, you know, the, the way the trivia categories normally shake out. Sure. And... I, I am, I'm totally lost when it comes to sports, most pop culture, 
any any kind of music stuff coming up in trivia is just we're gonna have to write off that category. Um, well, and we also determined that our collective knowledge of the flags of the world is uh, lacking. Substitute yeah. so for. I, I have I haven't looked this up, but I I did. I you know I thought for a while like basically how do you get the most bang for your buck if you're gonna study for trivia and geography is the way to go yeah um if you yeah, know things capitals, like flags, flags capitals rivers um like that that kind of stuff or, or you know just basic geographic tidbits that's big um but I, I don't know. I mean, just there's just been some weird stuff that Nerf has pulled out before. Like, I, we got to ask one time, um, you know, what country is the largest exporter of camels or something like that? He's like, oh, Australia. And we were like, shut the fuck up, Nerf. <laughs> like, that doesn't make any sense. It's, it's true. Apparently, Australia exports more camels than any other country in the world. But, I'm sure I would have had the same reaction. So. Um, but it, it was just, uh, well, yeah, I mean, obviously... Uh, yeah, it's got to be like Chad or Egypt or something, right? It can't right. be Australia. No, it's Australia. All right. Well, more trivia gotten. I do have a comment, that I, a follow-up from something that I said last Table Talk. If oh, you God. recall, I was mocking Sean Penn because he had made a statement that if Zelensky did not speak at the Grammys, he would destroy his own Oscar Um and I made the comment that surely Zelensky has better things to do, and there's no way that would ever happen. He did speak at the Grammys, um, so Sean Penn had the right idea. Uh, Good for Sean but not Penn. A, not in person, right? Did he, like, Skype in? Or? Yeah, it was a video call. Okay. I, I don't know what he said. I didn't watch it, but he, he apparently did, <laughs> did speak did at he, the Grammys. Did he go on between Billie Eilish and BTS or something? I BTS? BTS burned this stage that's like the biggest oh. um is it Korean like K-pop? Yeah, it's a lot like BTK. <laughs> BTK for those who don't know, that's Fine Torture Kill. He's a serial killer. Uh, um, uh, no, BTS is like one of the biggest, if not the biggest, K-pop group over the oh, last couple of years. It's not okay, well, really can, my can, speed. All all of you laggers out there, can you do me a favor and if BTS comes up in conversation, just Confuse them with Confuse BTK. Them. Yeah. See, here's the thing, though. You know, if they're around our age, the odds of them knowing who BTK is is very slim. Uh, I don't know. I th- people are fascinated by serial killers. Maybe they'll know. That's true. No, but Jack, if you have heard the song Dynamite, that's BTS. Dynamite. Just link it. Uh, you'll you'll okay. hear it and you go, oh, that song. Okay. Shepard, could you just give us a breakdown of kind of BTK history and... I, I really don't know much about BTK other than uh, his name and that he was a serial killer. I want to say I want to say he was upstate New York. It's, it, sure I was going to say that, but um, Wichita and, apparently. Wichita. Well, no, oh, wow, whatever. not even Same close. <laughs> uh, but it's I, basically I think upstate New York. I want to yeah. say he. Uh, I'm just going to keep saying <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Get it correct. Oh, here's I, why. I think he was because I, I think he was dormant his... for a long time. And then came back in the early 2000s. Oh, okay. Here's why you were confused, um, Duncan. His birthplace was Pittsburgh, Kansas. So I, I can see how oh, you Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. And Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania is very close to upstate New York. It's only yeah, like no, five that's miles away. I, I, <laughs> that is exactly what tripped me out. Um, well, but, and to be fair, upstate New York is basically just everything that isn't the city. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
In any case, maybe it was just that, oh, you know what, I was about to give out some revealing information, but I didn't. I'm BTK, everybody. <laughs> I was going to uh, say, no. it's a, you're the mayor of Buffalo. Yeah. Everybody watch The Clove Hitch Killer on Netflix. Everyone watch every JCS criminal psychology video. Why is it? So I'm, I'm listening to this Dynamite song right now. I put the link in. And the, this guy starts his day with a glass of milk as, a, as an adult. Yeah. yeah, shoes on, wake up in the morning, glass of milk, let's rock and roll, I believe is how the song starts. Like he wakes up with his shoes on? Yep, presumably. Well, and, and the weird thing in the video, too, is that he wakes up and the milk has just been sitting there. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I don't like, like that. Uh, <laughs> that's probably not good. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I've never so, heard this before. Okay, interesting. So it's been all over the radio for the past, uh, I don't know, I don't three really years radio. or so. Can we make a band called BTK? <laughs> yeah, <why not? laughs> yeah, let's do it. You know, uh, we've been looking for a mascot for, <laughs> for uh, yeah, gaming. BTK. We, BTK. Well, oh we, the serial killer of the week is BTK. Okay. What if you run out of serial killers? Are we going to have to start making some things? No, 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 because we if, can make more, yeah. I, I, according to Criminal Minds, there's like thousands of them in the u.s there's unsubs yeah, on subs yeah yeah <laughs> um man i gotta think who's gonna be our serial killer next week well you got some time uh i've got time yeah. let me let me move on with the ombudsman report here sure so uh good thing we got a lot of mileage out of that because that was my only thing from table talk <laughs> uh, <laughs> i'm i'm pretty sure that none of you listened to the session uh because you would have probably commented on the fact that uh i put a whistle sound effect in table talk uh, you know, like the bleep thing that I normally do. And mm-hmm. due to the way that I had uh, edited this one, when I exported the session one, that whistle one was still in there at the same timestamp in the session <laughs> itself, which, you know, it's just like this random whistle, like not actually bleeping anything. Yeah. Uh, and hmm. so I was, I was listening to it after the fact to take my notes from the ombudsman report. I was like, oh shit, that's still in there. I was like, eh, I'll just leave it. Like, I don't, <laughs> I, I, I just, I, I can't be bothered to go back and fix it because I would take like, you know, even though that's very simple with all the exporting and uploading and all this, it would take me like half an hour. I just didn't want to do it. It's a good, um, it's a good Easter egg for our fans to find. Sure, <laughs> yeah, uh, but that would require that someone listens to it, and that's I was I was fairly certain that none of you listened to it because someone would have mentioned it, uh, and nobody did. So you know, that's well, my evidence. I, I've said it before. I I like listening to our podcast, and I I our podcast is my favorite podcast. However. I do like to wait until I've forgotten about the conversation to listen to it That's again. Um, and so while I frequently listen to the sessions, um, you know, it, like shortly after we do them, maybe maybe only a couple of days later, the table talks, I, I find that I enjoy more once I get a little more distance from them. But Sure, but this was in the session. and, and uh, nobody Yeah, well, I didn't listen to that either. <laughs> right, sure. Right. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, okay, so in the session, I made some specific claims, and I, I don't really know what motiva- made, motivated me to do so, um, but one of them was wrong, one of them was right. So at one point, uh, our DM had the abbot say words to the effect of, <laughs> forgive them, father, they know not what they do. Uh, and so oh, yeah, I, you called out a real specific part of yeah. the Bible for that. Well, I wouldn't call one book that specific, but I was saying, book you know, of, book of John, I believe you said, is that I, accurate? That's correct. I did say that it was the book of John, but it's not. Uh, that's book of Luke. So hmm. I assumed that it was the book of John because the book of John is, is like, it, you read the other gospels and Jesus is like, you know, he's pretty interesting, but he's 
not that crazy. Book of John is like a Marvel movie. <laughs> uh, like the stuff he's doing in there is crazy. So that, it just fit better with that in my mind. But that's actually the Book of Luke. Which book is the one that has the bears? Um, that's Old the, Testament. The, uh, yeah. yeah, the bears killing all the all the, like old, children. Old Baldy. Old Baldy. Yeah. Um, Classic. Yeah, I don't remember. Uh, it's probably like one of the Chronicles. Sure. Of Narnia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, C.S. Lewis based it very, very closely on the the Bible after he decided that it, it wasn't bullshit. <laughs> I, dude, I went back and read Narnia, and I didn't really fully appreciate how religious those books were until, yeah. until I yeah. went back and <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, especially if you read though. the later ones, it's, yeah, it's... Well, yeah, I mean, at the end, it's pretty explicit about, like, and now some of you are going to heaven and some of you are going to hell. Yep. Yeah, well, I mean, the last book is very revelation. Like, yeah. it, it gets it gets pretty weird with all the stars coming down and um, I don't know and the false Aslan added. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. One day I'll read them. <laughs> Never did. I not bad. I loved them when I was a kid, and I, I haven't reread them as an adult, but I really ought to. Voyage of the Dawn Trailer is one of my favorite books of all time. That is that is my favorite too. Yep. Anyway, what was your, what was your second claim that you made that was correct? My second claim was talking about barbarians. So I had mentioned at one point uh, that it was somewhat, uh, well, so it was when Jack's character Isaac got attacked and he took physical and radiant damage. He was saying, well, the physical damage is half, but the radiant damage isn't because I'm raging. I brought up, well, if you were Path of the Totem Warrior, you could be uh, immune or resistant to everything but psychic damage. And that's correct. So the Path of the Totem Warrior, if you specifically pick the bear, uh, totem, you know, whatever. Uh, it's like the first thing you can do. I think it's at level three. Um, that there's like five different options of an animal aspect you can take, and the only two good ones are the bear and the wolf. The bear, when you're raging, makes you resistant to everything but psychic damage, which is just like ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And then, and then the wolf makes it so that uh, your allies have advantage uh, <laughs> attacking anything that is that you're in combat with like within five feet of you <laughs> which is also like super op because what i was thinking was if you just get a a rogue uh wolf totem combo going you know oh, yeah, you're just sneak gonna, attacks. yeah you're just gonna get that sneak attack damage and just absolutely annihilate uh whatever you're attacking so oh, sneak attack so jack next sounds time like a sounds like a good backup <laughs> character uh, yeah we remember remember TPK. the one time i played a rogue named jack uh, it was awesome. It was the uh, yeah. was he a halfling or a gnome? I can't remember. He was a he was a ghostwise halfling. Yeah, he was awesome. <laughs> yeah, uh, a great character. We, I, I actually ran a different campaign before this one for the group, mm. and also one shots associated with that. Yeah, that was a, that campaign. was a micro session. So doesn't yeah, count. well, yeah, hey, I think that was what? that was the session where the combat music was playing all through the beginning, and we were all <laughs> really confused. Yeah, we were like, are you ever going to turn this happen? Off? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I think it was because sometimes in, in the Roll20 music player, it wouldn't come through for, you know, one or more of us. And in that case, I didn't realize music was playing. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that makes sense. Um, but I, yeah, this is a good segue for me to talk about campaign design. So we did, and I'm not, this is not a meant to be a discussion about interpersonal stuff during the last campaign, but we... In the last campaign, I had, I basically had two different types of sessions. We did 
Uh, we did it kind of X-Files style, where there were myth arc sessions where we would actually advance the main plot, and then there were these Monster of the Week sessions, many of which were... Well, all of them were set in the same... It was the same setting, and it was normally at roughly the same time, um, but it would be with different characters and, and maybe a diff slightly different part of the map. And uh, the way that we... The way that we ran these was if, how, I mean, I guess we started with six players. So the idea was if five or six people are present, we would, we would do a myth arc session. And then if four or less people are present, we would do one of these monster of the week ones so that we wouldn't, um, like we wouldn't be pushing too much man story without everybody here. And our most memorable sessions wound up being the monster of the week ones. Yeah, by far. And they weren't all one-offs. Some of them would have you know, two or three episodes to them. Uh, but I, I, I do think that was the one of the better things that we came up with during that campaign. Like that's something that we're not exactly doing that this time, um, but it's definitely a concept I would revisit in a different campaign. I really like the villain sessions we're doing with this one. I, as much as I love the monster of the week stuff because it was really good, I think this is even better. <laughs> I, I think I, I this them. works well for a like a, a narrative roleplay heavy group. Um, I can only imagine what our villains are going to end up doing in Crest. It's going to be a nightmare. <laughs> like it's already bad enough. Kill here. everyone. Like, oh, these actually, guys seem like they recently became slightly more hopeful. Let's fix that. Well, here's here's a funny conversation I was having the other day that I'd, I'd like to hear what you guys think about. A couple of days ago, I was talking to a uh, fellow player and GM, but mostly Delta Green Handler, Roland, uh, who we've played with before on the podcast, and we've been having discussions about basically how to incentivize player action and stuff like that. Like, uh, he's got a Delta Green campaign where the, the group is very methodical and tends to take an inordinate amount of time, like, collecting evidence and is generally it's it's kind of an analysis paralysis situation um you know whereas my delta green games have been increasingly like desperate where i i put all kinds of artificial time <laughs> pressure in um and it forces people to do things before they're ready which is i think both uncomfortable but very exciting especially towards the ends well, it's also thematically for Delta Green. Um, I don't, I don't know that being prepared is is the vibe you're going for in Delta Green. There's always going to be an element of flying by the seat of your pants, and I think that's part of the fun. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I think that um, I like the way that you phrase that, kind of thematically appropriate. It's, I, I don't, I don't know that the players. I think it's kind of a the players don't want what they want situation where. Of course, everyone's going to attempt to be prepared, but the game will probably not be more fun if they are. Um, and so, spinning this off, I, I had a, or I'm, I'm having a similar conversation with uh, another player who I can't name because he doesn't have a pseudonym. But um, he was asking about how to run a vampire game. Um, if I had any advice on that, because he knew I was running this campaign. And so I thought I would lay down a little bit here, and then I'd, I'd be very curious to see what you guys think about it so far. But the notes I have on this are, 
Um, well, number one, I think I think vampires like zombies are pretty played out by 2022. Um, like, there's just been so much media with vampires in it that everyone understands what the deal is with vampires. They're um, given that so much of horror is about the unknown being scary. Vampires just aren't that scary anymore, um, and so I think you've got to you got to twist it somehow. Like you've either got to hold something in reserve and indicate that you're doing that to make it scary, or you have to do something with the vampire that makes them different in some way, or or maybe the vampire themselves. Like maybe they're not the scary part, um, but. Uh, so that's that's my first point, but I wanted to throw that out to you guys and see what you think about it. Yeah, I, I agree with the premise, which is that you have to do something different because everything else has already been done. Like, whether you want it to just be like the, I'm just the straight up evil guy, right? That's old classic. The new twist, right, on vampires is that, well, because they're immortal, that they're just tired and they don't, like, you know, they're just trying to end everything or something like that. Okay, that's played out too. So I like this idea of what you're doing where like he's turned the corner on that. And now he's just like, no, fuck it. I'm just going to have some fun. Um, like it's sort of this like careless kind of evil, um, I think is interesting from, I don't know, just like a character motivation perspective in terms of making the character himself interesting. Yeah. Just staving off boredom. That's that's the only thing he has left. I think that it works. Right. Yeah. I think that's that's interesting when it comes to. Okay, mechanically, though, or, like, story-wise, what are they doing and why? Like, I, I don't know. I don't know that a lot of times that really matters so much in the grand scheme of things. Because um, it, it really comes down to, like, the the minute-to-minute or task-to-task thing that your players and characters are doing. And so, I, I think in a lot of ways, like, the grander motivation doesn't even matter a lot of times. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think that's true. And I, in a lot of cases, the moment to moment how it feels is maybe more important than some kind of big picture grand design um but uh yeah yeah obviously in in our game what i was going for like you guys described is is like a instead of instead of being you know bloodthirsty and out of control strahd is bored but also sadistic or or at least you know uncaring um and so, you know, who knows what kind of twisted form his entertainment is going to take. Uh, but my one of my next notes was, and this is a, a, a lesson written in blood, <laughs> um, is is that if the, characters, if the characters play a vampire, um, it can get really genuinely rapey and uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to blow it out of proportion. Where did uh, you learn that lesson? No, I, and I, I don't mean that, like, oh, trigger warning, you know, don't have your players play vampires. My, my point is just, if you if you just say, okay, you guys are vampires now, and turn them loose, and then, you know, nudge them that, like, hey, you need to drink blood at some point, if they actually have to, if you actually make them role play, like, subduing a victim and drinking their blood, it can be, and this isn't necessarily a bad thing, it can be uncomfortable. Sure. Um, and so that's yeah, something worth considering, especially if you are playing games in mixed company, playing games with people you don't know very well or who aren't experienced players. Uh, you know, that, that could, I, that's something I would feel 
comfortable doing with this group that I would not be comfortable doing with, you know, my, my buddy whose girlfriend is new to the hobby. Um, yeah, I, I will say that that is a piece of advice I've seen a lot, it, not in this specific context, but just doing anything like, hey, we're going to do an evil campaign. People are like, hey, you need to have experienced players for this because it can go sideways like in a hundred different ways very quickly if you don't have a good handle on what your group is like and what they do. So uh, yeah, your, your point is taken for this specific instance, but I think it is sort of just the the same same aspect of a broader uh, broader idea of what it means to play evil characters and and who is necessarily equipped to do so. Yep, I, Side I think note, that's by a the great way, point. Um, one thing that I wasn't able to be involved with, I don't remember what came up, but I, I wasn't able to join the session a while back. You guys did an Evil Incorporated thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I played which, a vampire in that as well, which that went really well. Uh, so I'll but, set the scene there. The yeah. The concept here, and I, I think other people have done similar stuff, but um, my, my idea was that the players, the players were going to play evil characters, but they were basically members of the dungeon industry. Like, there's all kinds of behind-the-scenes stuff that goes on with building and maintaining a dungeon and integrating it into the, the fabric of a community. So, you know, whether it's building the dungeon, or building and maintaining the traps, or staffing the dungeon with monsters, or sowing the seeds of the legend that draws the heroes into the dungeon, or, you know, all, all of that stuff requires work, and so right, the trying players to balance were going to be... Make sure that yeah, you're not yeah. attracting heroes that are too strong, right, that are going right. to defeat the dungeon, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so the, the players were going to wind up being, like, dungeon contractors, um... And then the you know the DM winds up playing these hapless heroes that get drawn into this. While the uh, it, it that that was the concept. I think we only played a session of it. Um, yeah, I think it went really well. Uh, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't mind if we wanted to do a one-off. Like, I was sad that I missed that one after I heard the premise. Yeah, I, I've I've always intended to revisit it. We just haven't haven't done it, but we totally I, could. I tried to. I tried to do a uh, a single player session uh, <laughs> with uh, Duncan. I think before we started this campaign, and it went horribly, mostly due to my poor preparation. <laughs> uh, I I vaguely remember that. I want to. It was one of those cases where it was good ideas, just poorly not, executed. But not not poorly yet connected. Um, but you know, with with a lot of potential, um, perhaps. But. Uh, but to, I mean to be clear, you've also done that for me before, where I've I've brought you something half baked and you've sat down with me and taken it apart, so I know kind of what to shore up before I run it for a real group. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah. To, so Shepard, to your point, I think I think you're right that you need a stronger group of role players for something like that. I think that I think that is generally true for horror as a genre of game um, because you need you need people that are like able to sit down and buy into it and roll with the punches you can horror is really really fragile as a as an RPG genre and as soon as someone starts rules lawyering the tension evaporates yeah that's um, true 
So it's it's not just an experience thing. It's also like a it's a chemistry thing. Um, uh, another like I, big thing that happens with anything horror related is betrayal ends up being like a you know a pretty key factor a lot of times. Yeah. So because if you're playing evil things or it's like a survival kind of thing, you know those compromises are going to come up pretty often. And if you are playing someone who's inherently evil, right, then you probably don't care that much about it. Uh, but yeah. being betrayed or feeling betrayed in a role-playing type game uh, or anything similar to that can be, like, pretty devastating. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, like, if... I think if any of our characters betrayed one of the other ones here, I don't know that we would necessarily care that much. Um, but, you know, we've been playing together for a long time, and have kind of established that that's fine for us you know if we were just starting out and then you know eisen betrayed light of dawn i'd be like jack what the fuck man <laughs> right you it's know coming I mean? up this session uh, yeah oh, I, I i think this now. is this is a group where we i mean the, the the story comes first and everyone is very aware that character success is not player success um, right, and that's what and, and, I was thinking about that last time when uh, I had Light of Dawn say like, you know, hey, you guys can go. I'm going to stick around. This like this is important, or whatever. I was totally fine with having him, you know, just get curb stomped by uh, the Abbot just because it like felt like the right thing to do to like sure. do that fight or whatever. Like it, it wouldn't have bothered me for half a second if the other, you know, players had their characters go like, okay, and then left, and then you know, I've got a new character in the <laughs> next session. That would have been totally fine. Yeah. Um. Nerf and I were at uh, a friend's house. This is Caboose's house. Um, two weekends ago, I think. And uh, we we played a Delta Green game in the evening. Nerf had run a, a Mothership game earlier, which was awesome. And then we, we played Delta Green, and it was us, the two of us, um, and then another friend of ours... And Caboose and Caboose's girlfriend, who has never really played anything before. And I I ran Sweetness, which I've I've run, I don't know, four or five times now, and I've I've been steadily polishing it. Um but everybody was really cooperative. Um and like as silly as this sounds, it got genuinely very scary at some points. Yeah, I was um, gonna. Or I've said it in the past because you ran Sweetness for me and Nerf a hundred years ago, and yeah. yep. and we were doing it like over Discord. And at one point, I think I mentioned it. I was like, I, I can't believe I'm gonna say this, but I'm feeling legitimately spooked right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, like, and this this is particularly silly sounding because I'm the one running the game. But there was this one point when we were playing where the like. The everyone involved in the setup had hit all the right notes, and uh, we were coming into this very tense moment. And the the sun had just gone down, you know, outside, so it had just gotten genuinely dark. And the ambient music that Caboose had been playing was just syncing very well with what we were doing, and uh, it, it was a like. I had goosebumps. It was like, holy shit. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, that that's great, though. It's a great feeling for a game like that. Um, but, you know, all it, all it would have taken to totally shatter that would be for someone to, you know, make a, make a dick joke or 
contest a role or something like that, and you'd be like, fuck. So, um, yeah, I, I think, I think, well, we horror... don't know anyone who would do that, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I, that stuff all has its place. Don't get me wrong, but it's, it's a, it, you're making a trade. Um, you know, and if, if you're, if you're doing something like miniatures wargaming, where people are not really role playing, it's, it's just it's, a mass game, basically. Well, right. It's essentially like a, a very, um, you know, very complicated or very sophisticated board game. You know, people haggle over rules all the time, and that's it. Doesn't take you out of anything. Um, but um, yeah. Anyway, so I, I got a couple more notes on on this this uh, kind of vampire uh, situation, and then I think we can we can do inspiration and wrap up table talk. But um, so you know, we've talked about vampires being a little played out, maybe things to overcome that. And we've talked about group maturity and, and you know, role play versus mechanics and stuff like that. But, um, oh, let's see, where was I going to go with this? Um, Killer segue. I, <laughs> I, I, so I wonder, like, I, 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 I think horror is very contingent on, like, ambience and unknowns. Curse of Strahd has... Well, so right up front in the module, they recommend... Or there's a small passage at the beginning on basically how to run a horror campaign. And one of the things that they recommend is, um, like, little events that are horror-oriented. And we've kind of done those as a gag, where the only the only player that gets them is Jack. Uh-huh. No, I love that. Um... <laughs> And the, the other characters are oblivious to it. Um, <laughs> yep. But, so the, that one I, I, I think is interesting. The, they have, you know, basically just these little narrative points that we've been hitting. There are also these random events, like um, you guys saw a ghost in the woods, and, um, mm-hmm. you know, there have been a couple of things like that. Uh, and the final thing that they recommend is, is convey... Um, just kind of convey horror. I don't know if you want to call them tropes or convey ambient information through flavor text. So I like that idea, but I think it is poorly executed. Sure. Uh, in in the module, uh, you know, case in point, the house literally groaning. Yeah, um, that description was just so outrageous. So I, I I think part part of it is it's just inconsistent throughout the module. But I, I'd be curious to get your take on the other ones. The, um, you know, the, the little horror asides and the uh, horror encounters. I, I'd never personally felt any, like, spookiness uh, from this campaign. It's, I, I don't know. I feel like it's too, it's too big and there's too much stuff going on. One of the things that aids Delta Green, I think, in, in being able to be spooky is usually it's, it's smaller, it's tighter, uh, it's often only you know one or two sessions, not all the time, but my experience has been that. Uh, and I, I think you can get people wrapped up in something a little better. Um, and, you know, when you get into something like a combat encounter, it's really quick, right? Mm-hmm. You have to slow down so much for D&D uh, whenever you, you get into something like that, that it starts becoming procedural. And I, I, I don't know that a lot of times Outside of, you know, just some random one-off moments, it's... I think it's really difficult in Dungeons & Dragons to create an atmosphere of spookiness. Yeah, that's fair. And now that you mention that, 
I guess the way that we've been doing Curse of Strahd is more of a... It's really more dread than horror. Yeah, and I would say it's like it's kind of a cabin in the woods kind of take too, where you know it I, is. We're, yeah, we're, we're kind of taking the piss out of a lot of stuff. There's some camp to it, uh, but N- Nerf and Jack, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I I think I agree with Shepard on that one. I mean, there there have been a few moments that have been a little scary, but uh, yeah, like on a whole, it just it 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 happens too slow, and you're able to be too deliberate. Um, there's no time pressure. There have been, I mean, there have been a few times where we've made like the suboptimal choice, but usually it's for <laughs> just like, a couple. Role, yeah, usually it's for like role play kind of decisions, not necessarily. Oh man, like this isn't the best way to go about it, but we have to do it now. We, we really haven't felt that crunch yet. I don't know. I, I, that's just. Yeah, I would second that. Time pressure. Yeah. I, I think that a perfectly executed plan is. Maybe satisfying in the moment, but only if it only if you like earned it. And then most other ways, it's not it's not very fun because if it goes perfectly, you're not really doing that much thinking while it's happening. When things go off the rails and you have to adapt, that's that's where things get fun for me. And the more time pressure there is, and the less time you have to do like any kind of research and any kind of planning and preparation, the more likely it is for that to happen. So. Mm-hmm. For for me, time pressure and forcing us to make suboptimal calls, I guess would be the word. Bad calls, maybe. <laughs> that's that's where things get good. Yeah. It, it it's also tough in D D because the the things that can like kill you quickly that would give you kind of like a sense of fear uh-huh. tend to be things that aren't worth fighting at all because there's no way you can beat them. Um and, and it, even then, they don't kill you quickly. You know, you still have to yeah. do a 10-minute combat just for everyone to die. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. It's no, most of the time. Most of the time, you know, if this starts going south, we could probably get away. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah. And it's, again, with Delta Green, right? Like, you have to be afraid of things because things will kill you in a second. Right. Yep. Whereas yep. Yes, yeah, so you got so much health and armor and all this stuff that you you're like, well, it might fuck me up, but you know we've got all these options, right? Yeah. You know, but, if you get but, your guts cut open in Delta Green, you're done. Yeah, but in Delta Green, there's also ways to stop things in an instant. Uh, there's there's usually not that in D and D. You know, really, it often comes down to you know like a, a grindy combat, um, which has has some fun things, but makes it difficult to for it to be really horror. You know. Yeah, I, I think I think there's a lot there. So it's it's both a durability and a speed issue. Yes. Um, yeah, and, and all of that all that makes sense. Um, well, okay. So let me let me pivot and ask something. Well, let me give my last vampire note and then a final related note. So the the last bit of advice I think I have for. You know, our friend looking to run a vampire game and anyone else is the the vampires, especially if there's like a main character kind of vampire, they can't just be vampires. Like they can't, their character can't be vampirism. Um, They need to be a character with motivations and stuff like that who is a vampire. Yeah, I Um, I agree. And it needs to be something that hasn't already been done. Um, Right. Because Strahd, his story is, you know, virtually identical to like a traditional Dracula thing um, which is not terribly surprising but it's like there's not like oh my god that's surprising that nothing is surprising about his story uh, right. as a character um, 
And so I, I think it, it benefits you to make it interesting. Yeah. Um, okay, that, that's okay. a stupid thing to say. Of course it benefits you to make it interesting. No, no, it, I, it I, benefits I agree. you to make it something like new and and unique. That you know, there's something that's surprising about it, as opposed to uh, just like, oh, it's Dracula again, huh? Okay. Right, and, and there's there's some freshness to this as well. Like if if you can, you know, if if you have a game plan to introduce them as a very boilerplate vampire kind of character, and then you reveal to the players that there's more to this guy than meets the eye. There's something you don't know about him. He's unpredictable for some reason. You know, that could be really interesting, but. It's not going to be, it's not going to be exciting or or scary or anything like that if the players think they have it all figured out, even if it's difficult. Yeah, um, one thing I think about a lot is I didn't play this game, and maybe I've talked about this before, but it's something I I've been told happens in the game Fable Three, where like you you know your goal for a lot of the game is to like defeat some king and end his tyrannical rule, and then once you beat him, you find out that. The things he was doing that were horrible were kind of necessary in order to prevent some greater bad thing from happening. Like, hey, I I do like this horrible conscription and overtaxing and whatever because we need this army to, to, to protect our kingdom from all these other threats. So if you're going to get rid of that system, then you're putting the entire kingdom at risk. You know, that kind of thing where now you have to do all the same compromises that he does uh, sure. or choose not to and compromise somewhere else, right? Uh, and I think that kind of, not that that necessarily relates to this, but, you know, what if the bad guy is doing something that seems bad because you don't have the same information he does, or, or is bad, but, you know, it's it's just that's the compromise he picked. Um, you know, I think there's interesting things you can go with that line of thinking, even if it's not necessarily the same thing, um, to make make villains more interesting as, as characters. And the more you find out, you know, the, the more you have to start compromising. Well, that is actually a perfect unintentional segue to, to what I wanted to talk about uh, as our, our final topic before inspiration. And that's, you know, you, all of this advice or all these observations that we're making have to be caveated with the statement, you have to know your players and kind of what they like and what engages them. But um, with this particular group, we all know that the, the, probably the, the two things that... Uh, the two things that this group most enjoys are number one, shitty broken puzzles, <laughs> um, and number two, moral dilemmas. Love yeah, we moral love dilemmas. just just we love crashing right through them. Yeah, I was gonna say Jack loves the Gordian knot solution to moral dilemmas. <laughs> um, what if I just walked away? And, and more and more, I think that has been a feature of not just the games that we play together, but the ones I run for other people as well, um, and. So I'd like to, I, I, I want to throw this out there. What do, you, what do you guys think about moral dilemmas in games, um, and what device or what advice would you give to people trying to run them or play in games with them? I would, I would say the say, most important okay. thing. Okay, um, I'm glad we both started with I would say. <laughs> um, moral dilemmas are interesting if you are provided context. I have seen situations, not in this campaign, but. Um, like in a lot of games, if it's like an RPG, you'll be given a moral dilemma and you have no idea what the implications are either way. So it's like, you, it's, it's really hard to care because you're not invested at all. 
I I would make sure that if you're going to put something in front of a player or a group of players and have them make a choice, they actually understand what the consequences of the choice are and they have a reason to care about it because otherwise it's just going to feel dumb. Yeah, I agree with that. And I would extend it to say, and those consequences need to like really matter, right? Because a lot of times I feel like whether it's video games or these kinds of things, you'll make some sort of moral choice, but the like that feeling of, oh man, it just ends right there. And a lot of times you don't really ever end up suffering from it outside of that specific instance, right? So, you know, the one of the good things that we've experienced in this campaign as an example, right? I stole the uh, Sunblade or whatever it's called, right? And then that ended up impacting us at the winery, right? And then we had to do something about it. Uh, right, the, the well, impact of that. also means that we lost Arena. Like, a lot of stuff happened because of the Sun Sword. Right, uh, and that's just one example, right? But it's something where, you know, that moral dilemma, you know, it, it makes us, it, it trains us as players, right? That, hey, when we make these choices, it's not just isolated to this event, right? There are consequences. Um, and so we, we have to really wrestle with that. The other thing I would say when it comes to moral dilemmas is um, there. I, I think it's a good idea if you've got a lot of those to give some options for some wins at some point too. Um, not that I think we have had an absence of that, but I think if it's you, it's every single situation is the same kind of uh, you know. There's there's never a win. Uh, right, you or, don't want it to be damned if you do, damned if you don't. Right, every time. every time. I think it, it's good to have a mix, and you know, depending on your group, you can decide what that ratio should be. But I, I think a little bit of both really helps to highlight both as well, right? Give you some of that contrast. Yeah, I, I sounded like I was going to say more, but I was done. <laughs> I, I agree with all of that, and I, I think, um, I mean, if I had to sum up like the theme of this campaign in a single word, it would be consequences. Yeah, consequences that's right. will never be the same. <laughs> and uh but, but yeah I, I i think um there's a lot to be said for offering genuine opportunities for losses and wins and following through whichever way the players go and making sure that future encounters if it makes sense for them to be affected by those losses and wins are um and yeah. and i think there, there should be an option for recovery at some point or rehabilitation um, sure. It, to to a degree, right? You know, if it's really something super heinous, maybe not, right? But, it, you know, I, you should feel the consequences of your mistakes, but maybe not forever. Um, and yeah, so and I, one, of, one of the nice things about running kind of a sandboxy adventure, though, is maybe the, the right way to follow on to, like, a, a really abject moral failure isn't a traditional redemption arc thing. Maybe it's doubling down. You know, maybe away. it's... Yeah. Or walk it right. I mean, there's all kinds of interesting stuff you can do if you commit to an angle like that and you, you work together on, on making an interesting story out of it. Um, but what I think is supremely frustrating is hand-waving it away and retconning, those kinds of things, where then, right. you know, the, the everyone knows going into the next encounter, well, this doesn't really matter. Um, but clearly, mm-hmm. like, what happened at the Abbey of St. Markovia with the group being, you know, almost suicidally uh, heroic was a consequence of previous moral failures. Right. Yeah, it's like we're overcorrecting. Right, which is, I mean, I think a really natural and interesting story. Um, But 
uh, yeah, I, I, this is another thing Roland was asking about, because I, I had, we were, we were talking about, you know, things you can do in Delta Green to, um, spice it up isn't, isn't the right answer, but I, I guess make it more engaging. Um, and I mentioned that I had been pushing more moral dilemmas as well as time pressure. And he had noted that yeah, he's, he's tried moral dilemmas in the past with different groups and, and, and he's observed that players have a tendency to, uh, not take them that seriously or, you know, just kind of burn it all down mentality. Um, and I, I pointed out that I, I probably have more moral players. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Uh Well, and that's that's something I was going to bring up is like, you know, it it is definitely very player dependent where some players, just the fact that there's a moral dilemma is enough to like, you know, really mess with them. And so you don't even really need to have that many like in-game consequences, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because in theory, what we could do as players, right, is just say, you know, kind of, well, you know, (laughs) dust off our hands and be like, well, we got the uh, sunlight medallion, holy symbol, whatever it's called. Um Right, and, uh, you know, that's all we need to do here, like, see ya, and, you know, just kind of leave this place burning in our wake like we did with Velaki. Right. Right, and, and right, at that point, you know, there has to be some consequences as the DM, you know, some in-game stuff that affects us. You know, let's say the abbot, like, streaks down from the sky from time to time and just, you know, thrashes us or whatever. Right, in order for us to, you know, do something about it. I would argue that maybe with us it's not that necessary because, you know, we... This is something that it's going to bother us as players, maybe to a greater or lesser extent per player, right? But it's not something that you necessarily have to beat us over the head with because that's just how we play. Um, so I think you have to sort of tailor it to the game, right? Do I have to, you know, kind of keep reminding them of how they fucked up or are they going to remember that themselves? Yeah. Yep. I think those are those are very good points. Um well, and it's interesting, too, with this specific case, because, you know, okay, imagine we had killed the abbot. Okay, great. You know, we've still got a big problem, which is that the, you know, what are these mongrel folk going to do? Are they evil? Are they good? Right? Are they somewhere in between? Are they victims? Or, and even if they are victims, you know, does that mean that if they're released out in the wild, that you know, just because they're victims doesn't mean that, you know, if they will hurt people, we can release them, you know? Or that's something to yeah. contend with anyway. So... You know, what happens between the, the mongrel folk, or the whatever their name is, the Bellevues, and the people of Crest, right? Are they going to live harmoniously? Probably not. Um, yeah, so, know, so, this so, is so a, even if you get that win, there's a whole other set of problems that comes along with it. This is a general note that I think is really worth making about D&D modules and pre-written adventures in general and almost any system. It's, if, if you are a GM... And you are looking at any of this material and you're thinking, man, I really don't know if there's much here or I don't know how long we can really spend in, you know, this location. Uh, In my experience, there's very little thought given. Like, the the people who write this stuff, it seems to me they, they approach them as set pieces. They write interesting locations, interesting characters, and they'll kind of, they'll put like a strong A plot. Um... But there's very little follow-through. So, um, you know, case in point, uh, the uh, Martikovs, right? The Martikovs have, um, you know, they have a bunch of gold stored, uh, you know, around back up in the, um, up above the barn, and they've got the sun sword. And all that's written into the module 
And at some point, the players are going to have to, if if that is, you know, the location that they've drawn in the Taraka deck, that is where they're going to have to go to get the Sun Sword. There's no, there's nothing in there that tells you like, hey, if the Martikovs discover that all of their shit's missing, like how are they going to react to that? And so if you don't think about that, then it's a non-event. Um, it, I, I think so far in in our campaign, the the way you, the you know the the way the Sun Sword came into your possession has been considerably more interesting than the Sun Sword itself. Oh, for um, sure. Yeah. And all all that was was a pretty simple, hey, what do I think would actually happen if you know somebody stole the Sun Sword? And it's right because well, most the- of those kinds of interactions, like for example, again, video games, great comparison, right? Let's say you're playing Skyrim and you pick someone's pocket and you steal all their gold, right? Mm-hmm. You know, as long as you don't get caught, that's the end, right? That that's the only thing that matters is what happens in that moment, and then you've got their gold, and then right, that's it. You know, even if that was everything they had. They're just an NPC rolling around in some, you know, path, right? Right. Because they're they're not real, right? As a DM, right, you have the power to to make it as real as you want, right? And maybe it's not enough gold for them to notice. Maybe it's everything they had and what happens to someone when you take everything they had. Even if you don't get caught, there's an impact, right? How much do you yeah. want to explore that and how much do you want it to matter? Yep. And, and, and it is really as simple as you looking at a given situation and saying, how do I think this would actually go down and running it all the way down to the ground? Um, well, and... I, I want to give a shout out to the three players here as well because I think we do a really good job of um, like bolstering what's going yeah, on let's with pat our own analysis. On the back a little bit here. Uh, well, well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we haven't done that. Enough no, no. Yet, I, 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 but... do, I, I don't mean to imply that this is all me. It certainly isn't. I, I completely agree with you that yeah, this is uh, well, and in fact, rolling into the the session where we where things really took a turn for the worse um, in uh, Valaki. Like, I was really concerned that it would be a turnoff, but it was a huge win because everybody was role-playing really, really strongly and rolling with these, like, pretty nasty moral failure kind of punches. Um, and it's, it's at every turn, like, bad things have been happening and the group has been embracing it as, whoa, this is more interesting. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I mean, the it's it's... Very much a group lift, um, and uh, certainly none of this stuff can be done by any one person at the table. But that's, I, I think, I think to both our points, giving actions realistic consequences complements and encourages player agency. Yeah, no, I agree. And because one thing I was going to bring up was just a small example, right? When we were leaving the winery, um, and the like, the other you know, cousins of the Mardikovs or whatever, kind of giving us a stink eye, even though we had just cleared out their vineyard. Um, as we were walking away, I was providing a justification for why they might feel that way. And I, I that kind of thing, I think, can be very helpful to a DM. Because unless I'm just way off base and you feel there's some need to correct me, right? As long as it's close enough to, you know, whatever you were doing, you can go, great, okay, now I don't have to do anything with that. Or, oh, hey, that's better than what I had. And I'll roll with that. Right, you know, and then some of that world and story building gets offloaded onto the players, and something you don't have to do. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, and that this happens all the time, like where you guys will think of something that I hadn't, and I, I will, you know, roll, roll with it in reverse. Um, right. 
you know, and similarly, like in not that there's been a ton of puzzle solving in this campaign, but I don't normally oh, I worry. I know you do. Uh, I normally don't worry about figuring out solutions to the puzzles. I just put them in front of the group, and they will almost always come up with something. Um, Some of those puzzles in Tomb of Annihilation are so fucking stupid; it's unbelievable. <laughs> we'll yeah. do another. We'll do a, a, a puzzle-oriented one-shot sometime soon. I, hope I so. think we should we should go back and play that again and see if any of us remember the answers to the puzzle. I, I think we would end up remembering enough of them that it, it wouldn't be that fun. But I want to say I could be wrong. I think the place that we're going to end up going to get the other thing, like the third thing, because we've got two of three now. I, I think that place, if it's the place I'm thinking of, has some some dumbass puzzles in it. But I, I could be Good. wrong. Good. All right. All right. Well, now that we're down, now that we're done going down on each other mm-hmm. um inspiration ho- ho- hopefully that was useful to anyone trying to run one of these games if, if they like what we're doing but yeah, pretty joke light table talk this time <laughs> yeah pretty, but pretty serious uh but we'll have twice as many next time i promise oh perfect and a serial killer of the week oh great uh maybe <laughs> uh maybe a clown type serial killer just to oh. reinforce the spoilers the uh okay inspiration I I would put in my vote for Light of Dawn. Well, I guess I guess I should say Shepard for focusing so much on the actual interplay between the party and Cloven. Thought that was good. Obviously, Eisen was just trying to get the fuck out, but Light of Dawn was leading the conversation and trying to get like get the NPC involved, which I thought was neat and very in character. Uh, it didn't hurt that I was rolling 20 or above on every persuasion check that I did. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, True. Yeah, I was I was trying something new last session, which is trying to talk my way out of a situation. Uh, not something that we've done a lot this game. That's campaign. true. We don't do that often, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that, that was new for me. So I, I, I am also going to throw in a vote for Shepard. Um, I like how consistent he's been with role-playing Light of Dawn's persistence. And I, it, it really led to some interesting interesting dynamics coming out of that last uh that last session with cloven and the other mongrel folk um and the heart-wrenching decision in the end to just leave after all of that yeah um, really built built him up for yeah. about an hour and then uh yeah <laughs> you can't come with us so yeah we'll be back maybe yeah I, all i could think when i was like for example when cloven went back into the the building and uh, I, I just imagine Duncan's like, okay, like that's it. Like he's running away, that's it. And I'm like, I'll follow him. <laughs> Duncan's yeah. like, oh, come on. <laughs> uh, I, I I enjoyed that immensely. Uh, I was going to give my inspiration recommendation to the DM uh, for having <laughs> like really just driving it home at the end as we're walking away. You're like, yeah. As you walk away, you hear a blood curdling scream of agony due to the <laughs> your own actions. Like, yeah, great, thanks. They're like I know, I know. <laughs> But I thought that was a, it was a good cap on the whole thing. Just just in case somebody missed it, <laughs> uh, that we had once again gone in with the best of intentions and maybe made things worse uh, than uh, if we had just never involved ourselves. You know, it was just an, another another classic moment of this campaign, uh, iconic as an end to the episode, and I appreciated that. Mm. Okay, well, light of dawn. Looks like you get to add another inspiration to your oh. 
Actually, this might be your only one, right? I think you spent your other one in the last session. I had two and I used one, so I'm back up to two. Uh, Yeah, I I definitely use mine at a higher rate, so it's good that I get them pretty often. I'm sure that's not a coincidence. Mm. 